Good afternoon, everyone. Librarian Danielle Belanger here from the Cote Saint Luc Public Library. Today, we have another great program for you. The library is thrilled to have the opportunity to host a live conversation with New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Deprie Sweeney. Thank you very much, Cynthia, for taking the time to join me today, all the way from New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, Cynthia lives in Los Angeles, but she is currently in New York, so it makes it a little bit easier for us to be <laughs> in the same time zone. Mm -hmm. I would also like to thank everyone at HarperCollins, uh, both the U.S. and Canadian team, who helped us organize the event and uh, sent me the book, Good Company. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you also to Andreas at Paragraph Bookstore for collaborating with us on this event. At the end of the event, I'll give you the details in case you'd like to buy your own copy of Cynthia's latest novel online or in store with them. Uh, if you miss it, uh, the librarian can also assist you on this as well. So, Thank you very much, Cynthia, for joining us. Uh, to begin, I will share a condensed bio. Cynthia Dapri-Swing is the author of Good Company. Her debut novel, The Nest, spent six months on the New York Times bestseller list. She is a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers pick. The Nest was a best fiction finalist for the Goodreads Choice Award and was named one of the best books of 2016 by People, The Washington Post, The San Francisco Chronicle, NPR, Amazon, Refinery29, and others. The Nest is currently being adapted by AMC Studios as a limited series. Her work has been translated into 28 languages. Sweeney holds an MFA from the Bennington Writing Seminars and lives in Los Angeles with her family. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining us today, and congratulations on such an exquisitely crafted and compelling family saga. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Cynthia, please tell us about your midlife career change to fiction writing. Um, well, that's a long story, but I'll try and make it uh, somewhat brief for um our purposes, I was, uh, have always worked, I lived in New York City for many years. I always worked as a writer. I worked as a copywriter and a, um, a branding and marketing consultant. And I did a lot of business writing or copywriting, sort of web writing. And as uh, my kids were getting older and I found myself with a lot more time, I started to think about what I wanted to do, you know, for the rest of my life sounds a little dramatic, but, um, but I did, I did think to myself, uh, what am I going to do when the kids are no longer home? And I have more time because the job that I had been doing, one of the best things about it was that I could do it freelance. So I had time to, uh, you know, go to school concerts and help with homework and all that kind of stuff. So I have always loved fiction. I had always, wanted to write fiction and I decided to go back to school and take fiction writing classes. And I was, you know, in my mid to late forties then. And, and then we moved to Los Angeles and I, I felt even more of an urgency to have something 
that I really loved doing to do all day. So I decided to go uh, back to school and I got my MFA. Uh, I was 50. I started the nest at the very end of that program. And, you know, doing that really changed my life and writing that book really changed my life. Well, congratulations uh, on the success, the huge success of the nest and on obtaining your MFA um, later in life than some. Yes. Can you tell us how that experience was for you going back to school in your Oh, yeah. It was amazing. I'm so happy I did it then and not when I was younger because I had such an appreciation for the opportunity and uh, such an appreciation just for the way that I was spending my time, which was reading a lot and engaging with uh, my professors and um, and meeting other people who also just wanted to talk about writing and books and uh, and and then the the discipline of having to write every month, having to write a certain number of pages every month, and the opportunity to share that work and get feedback from people who who were writing and publishing books and and people whose opinion I really uh, trusted and respected. It, the whole thing was was just great. So it sounds like your MFA really prepared you for having a discipline um, to to work full time as a writer in fiction. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 been a pretty disciplined writer because I always, well, for most of my life, was a freelance writer. But I think what all of that, all of the work did during that two year program was give me some confidence to write fiction, which I didn't have going into that program. I, I, I don't think that you need to have an MFA to be a writer or publish a book. I don't think you need to um, go to school to do that. But I knew as I started writing fiction that there were things that I wasn't doing right, that someone could and someone could teach me how to do them better. And, and that was true. And I also really just, you know, I wasn't young. I didn't feel like I had all the time in the world. I wanted to put a lot of pressure on myself to figure out if this was something that I really wanted to do, or um, if it wasn't, then I, then I needed to figure something else out. So it, it helped me in all those ways. So have you kept up with some of the people that you went to school yeah. with or your professors? Yeah, I have. I have. Yes. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's been great. It's been great. And they're a big support, you know, they're, they're, they're cheerleaders. They're, uh, they're very happy uh, for me. Well, congratulations. I'm, I'm sure they're very proud of, of your success. Cool. Why do you think The Nest was such a huge success and resonated with so many people across the world? Um, you know, I'm not sure I know. I I think that, I think from being on book tour and talking to a lot of readers, uh, a lot of it is that it's a book about money. And I think that money is such a hot topic, especially within families and especially among siblings. And I heard a lot of stories from people about their, you know, fights they had in their families that lasted generations over money and, or just sometimes it was just an argument over a teapot 
And, and of course, it's not really about those things, or it's not always about the money. It's about love. And it's about whether or not as a child, you felt like, I don't want to say loved enough, but in some ways it was in some ways I would, you know, someone would tell me a story about, oh, my mother told me I could have this teapot and my sister took it or my sister-in-law took it. And I can't, you know, I can't get over it. And I, and I think it's really, of course, about the loss of that person and that relationship, but we imbue things with significance and those objects sometimes do define our relationships. So I think, I think that's a big part of it. And when you wrote The Nest, did you already have film or television in mind as the next step? No, never. That is not, <laughs> that is not something I ever think about when I'm writing. Um, you know, that's a very, I live in Los Angeles. I know a lot of television writers. Um, so many books that get options never, ever make it. You know, the project never gets completed. It's the... The odds, even if your book does get option, the odds, the odds of it actually being made into a television series or a movie are very small. Um, if that were my goal, I would just write a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to let the cat out of the bag, uh, but we did say uh, when introducing you that um, the nest um you're now collaborating with AMC Studios mm -hmm. uh, to make this into a limited uh, series. Can you tell us how this came about and how you'll be implicated um, in the next steps, if so? Um, you know, The Nest was in development at Amazon as a feature film for many years, and uh, nothing came of it, as, as often happens. And when the option came up for renewal in February, I decided to take it back. And uh, we went out back out with it and AMC was interested and um, my involvement will be minimal. So it's, it's only at the very beginning of talking about it. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep our eyes tuned to see what happens with it. Yes. And congratulations on that. Thank um, you. So now let's turn the discussion over to your latest novel, A Good Company. I will share a condensed uh, synopsis of the plot for those listening in today. Flora Mancini has been happily married for more than 20 years, but everything she thought she knew about herself, her marriage, and her relationship with her best friend, Margot, is upended when she stumbles upon an envelope containing her husband's wedding ring, the one he claimed he lost one summer when their daughter Ruby was five. Flora and Julian struggled for years, scraping together just enough acting work to raise Ruby in Manhattan and keep Julian's small theater company, Good Company, afloat. A move to Los Angeles brought their first real career successes, a chance to breathe easier, and a reunion with Margot, now a bona fide television star. But has their new life been built on lies? What happened that summer all those years ago? And what happens now? Cynthia, can you please share with our audience what inspired the story behind Good Company? Um, that's a that's a good question. I um, 
I wanted to write about marriage and friendship. I, those are topics that are really interesting to me. I feel like I wish more books dealt with those topics. And, and like you said, I lived in Los Angeles and I also wanted to write about the world of performers and actors and writers and theater people. Uh, A lot of those people are my friends. It's incredibly difficult work that often gets glamorized. Um, And it's, you know, we see only the little tip of the iceberg of people who work in that business, the the very famous, the, the celebrities, but there's a whole, the rest of the iceberg is people who work, um, sometimes sporadically, sometimes regularly, just in, in roles that you would never recognize or remember. Uh, sometimes it's makeup artists or, you know, it's just, it's a whole, it's a whole universe of people that are really unrecognized and, and it's, and it's a, and it's a really hard job. It's um, mostly, um, it's a lot of auditioning. It's a lot of rejection. It's almost all rejection. And I'm fascinated by the type of people who are willing to put themselves out there again and again and again. It's also the type of work where uh, no matter how successful you are, if your show stops or the movie's over, you're right back at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, and that really interests me. And so all of those things sort of went into the soup of building the story. I think you did a tremendous job at exploring that idea of the volatility of the theater world, yeah, um, as well as the, the movie and television industry. Um, and you've been credited, and I will give you credit as well, uh, to really giving an authenticity to both of these different worlds that we um, become accustomed to in the novel, both the theater world in New York and uh, sort of the television world and right. some of the more glamorous side of uh, Los Angeles. So yeah. how do you go about sort of researching these two worlds or making sure that you gave them an authentic flavor? I, I did a lot of research. I read books. I read biographies. I read autobiographies. I listened to podcasts where actors talked about the type of work they were doing. I watched documentaries. I uh, and then I talked to friends, friends who are actors in all different kinds of jobs, and you know, listened to their stories and asked a lot of questions. And I just really tried to um, immerse myself into their world, but also the way they thought and and sort of the mechanisms that they've developed to to survive in a career that brings with it so much rejection. And, and, you know, I just tried to get to a point where I felt uh, a level of confidence writing about it. I really love that. Although this isn't a long novel as a reader, we do get a sense of Flora, Margot, Julian, and David at two very different stages in their lives and their Mm -hmm. career paths. How did you go about weaving these two timelines uh, so effortlessly? Um, well, it wasn't effortless. <laughs> with, with tremendous difficulty of a lot of 
a lot of post-it notes on a wall. Um, it was the biggest challenge of the book. It was the thing I struggled with the most. Uh, I think that when you're writing about couples, about married couples who have been friends over a, a long period of time, it it makes sense to see them at the beginning of the relationship and then to see them when their lives have sort of you know diverged into different places. And I, you know, I, I, I really relied on my, my agent and my editor to sort of keep me honest and let me know when I was including too much backstory or when backstory was missing. And, and it was really a team effort with all of us once I finished the book to figure out to figure out if, if, it, if it worked, if I, and I kept having to reorganize chapters and, and then even up until the point where we hired a copy editor, I was very concerned. I sort of made a timeline for her and said, you know, just fact check all of this, but it was challenging. It was challenging. So I'm glad it felt effortless when you were reading it because um, I was worried that it, that it would um, not. <laughs> oh, it did. It did. Congratulations on that. Um, in this novel, each character uh, prioritizes um, career and family and success a little differently. Um, mm -hmm. Which is your favorite character and why? You know, you're the first person to ask me that, which, which surprises me because I used to get asked a lot with a nest. Um, who's my favorite? Well, I mean, my favorite character is Ruby, the daughter, because she was fun to write. Um, and, and just sort of for reasons I don't exactly understand, very easy to write. She came to me very easily. But I also think, you know, I love them all for different reasons and in different ways. Um, I think the person I'd probably want to hang out with is Margot. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <Agreed>. <laughs> yeah. I think that you beautifully demonstrate the sort of the glamorous side of Margot um, and her complexity because she really offers up what she wants to offer up. I think she right. is probably the best at doing so um, right. within right. the characters of the novel. Right. Um, I, I also am very intrigued by uh, the character of David. Uh, mm -hmm. He's also quite complex, uh, mm -hmm. very interesting character and uh, a pretty important one. Um, how did he sort of spring up in your mind? Um, I felt like I needed someone of that foursome to not be an actor, like to not be in that world, like someone who was a little bit of an outsider who would bring a perspective to, um, you know, these people who were very wound up in their worlds. And, and I don't, I, I don't exactly remember um, when I had the idea that, um, I mean, can I talk about what happens to David without, do we want to I don't want to spoil it for anyone. David has a struggle. David has a struggle within the book. And, and, and I, um, you know, that was another thing where I, I wanted that to feel very accurate and true for people who have 
gone through a similar situation and and did a lot of research about that. So it was important it was important to me that uh, he have his own world, that he be living in his own world. And really, all of the characters are sort of dealing with disappointment, the kind of disappointment that we all deal with, which is just what you imagined your life might be and and what it turns out to be. Sometimes it's, you know, a million times more exciting than you ever imagined. Sometimes it's exactly what you imagined. Um, but it's usually different. Not to say sometimes it's it's not better or worse. It's just different. It's very hard to project into the future and know, you know, what your life is going to be. So I wanted them all in different ways to have to deal with that change. And they're at an age where you're thinking about that, where everything isn't possibility anymore. Uh, You've made a lot of choices. And every time you make a choice, you close off some other choices. So that's where all the character, all the characters in the book are sort of at that point in life. And um, that's also just another interesting thing to me. And probably coincidentally, you know, I just turned 60. They're all a little younger than I am, but it is, it's a very interesting time of life. Yes. What I, something I enjoyed very much was uh, the friendship between Flora and Margo and how it changes uh, over time, over the years, because Mm -hmm. of certain things that happen, but also because um, their paths are quite different. Um, Right where they end up and their own relationships with their spouses. Um, so is this based on personal experience or people, you know, or bits and pieces? Um, there's not, it's not based on any, um, the plot is made up. Um, although I certainly have known many people who have encountered trouble in their marriage. Um, that's obviously very common. Um, I talked to a lot of friends who have been divorced and, uh, a lot of that made it into the book and the people also aren't really based on, on specific people. I know, um, I, I, ta- I take, I sort of take from everywhere. Sometimes I think, oh, this person might, have a job like this other person I know, or look a little bit like this person, but I, but I don't like, I don't like thinking about real people when I'm, when I'm, uh, writing a novel, it actually, uh, sort of hems me in a little bit. I have to move them to pretend people very quickly and get to know them a little bit. That's the fun part. So I can see how it might be safer to, to stay yeah, in the realm I have, of fiction. Sure. I also, I do, I feel responsible to people I know. I I would have a hard time taking someone else's story and using it, you know, as my own. In the novel, um, I found it interesting that Flora and Julian become sort of so close that um, the name Florian <laughs> is right. attributed to them especially in light of all this talk right now in Hollywood about uh, the Benefer is back with Jennifer. Right, 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 right. 
Um, so to me, that was quite amusing. Is that something that um, is quite common in Hollywood? Or that's um, something that's no, no that, that happened because when I first was writing the book, I kept saying Florian instead of <laughs> okay. Flora or Julian. And I thought one day I can use that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's how that happened yeah <laughs> it, 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 I thought it was very funny because years ago on a trip I remember my husband and I meeting a couple and uh, the, the woman and the couple referred to them as Tim and Dee and uh, he was Tim <laughs> and she was <laughs> Mandy <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about um Ruby's character, um, because there is the secret uh, and what is behind the, the, the ring. And her parents don't really want to share exactly what happened. Uh, was that intentional? Do you think uh, Ruby could have handled it? Or tell us a little bit about that aspect. Yeah, um, I think I think that my personal parenting philosophy is that um, children don't children shouldn't necessarily have access to everything that goes on in a marriage um, there's the marriage and then there's your family and and you know um, I mean I'm lucky my husband and I are um, very much alike um, but but not too much alike and we genuinely don't argue that much. We really uh, want to communicate very well with each other. We want to understand each other. Um, but if we ever did have a disagreement, we always had a policy of not disagreeing in front of the kids because little kids will kind of use that. They'll, you know, little kids are super manipulative. <laughs> but, um, and then at this point, I think, um, you know, it's it's a little different with Ruby because she's an only child, and sometimes only children uh, do get swept up into a more adult. They grow up a little faster uh, because they spend their lives around um, around adults more than other kids, generally speaking. And and I and I have a and I have a close friend whose parents split up, and she's an only child, and it and it's it's rough. It's a lot of responsibility, and you know, that's not what happens in good company, but Ruby's at the age where she's noticing that her parents are individuals and not just her parents. And she's noticing that she is an individual and not just a child. And that's a sort of a profound moment in a family when, when the child or the children leave home. And so I just wanted a little taste of that um, for, for those two, because Flora is just, you know, she's at a point in her life where everything's going to change. Her daughter is going to go off and that, you know, it's just, it's kind of a way to put pressure on the story. So Flora refers to herself closer to the end of uh, the novel as by coastal, <laughs> can you talk just a little bit about uh, what this means? Um, your experience with it? Well, I mean, being by coastal in the U.S. just generally means you go back and forth from New York to Los Angeles because 
the industries are in both of those cities. And, um, you know, I think Flora, you know, Flora, Juliana, Margot, and David all met in New York City. They were all young in New York City. They have all ended up in Los Angeles. And, and I think, you know, towards the end of the book, Flora is just trying to decide where she fits. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I moved to Los Angeles when I was in my mid forties and I have a child here in New York city and one in LA and, uh, and I feel, you know, I feel very split sometimes. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure sometimes where I belong. And the truth is that I belong to both places. Um, but, but, but they're far away. So, so that's a lot. I like the part of the book where Flora goes back to New York, but she's been living in Los Angeles for a long time and she sort of remembers, but doesn't quite remember the neighborhoods, the streets where they can. Right. Right. Well, it's a story of New York. New York is always changing. Um, And, and people feel a lot of ownership over their New York. And so when you're with someone who hasn't been in the city for a while and you walk around, you know, there's a lot of, oh my God, that used to be, you know, CBGBs that used to be, oh, that Italian restaurant isn't there anymore. What happened to that building? When that, when did that new apartment building go up? Everyone sort of fixes New York in their head and, and it lives there as, as it was when you knew it. And then, and then when you come back and you're just sort of, of course, everything and everyone has moved along, but you haven't moved along in your head. And I think that's just a very common, uh, it's very common for people to experience New York that way. You know, the New York I knew, the New York I lived in, coming up against the present New York that I don't know anymore. And it feels kind of jarring. You know, when I walk around New York, because I lived in so many different neighborhoods and I got married. Well, when I lived in New York, I met my husband here. I got married when I lived in New York. Our kids were born here. Our kids went to school here. And, you know, all the neighborhoods are full of little ghosts, but, um, but then it also, there's so much new stuff. So it's, it's just a really richly layered experience that is sometimes sad and bittersweet, but also exhilarating. So would you say that now you've moved, but you're still going back and forth that, a little bit of your heart is in each city or do you still really consider New York your, your home? And um, well, your I mean, is? it's, it's, you know, I grew up in New York. I, I mean, I didn't live here as a kid. When I, I moved here right out of college, I became an adult in New York. All of my, you know, like all of the experiences that make you an adult I had here in New York. So it's impossible for me not to, drive past the hospital where my kids are born and not, you know, I, I I have very strong feelings about this city and, um, but I also love Los Angeles. So, uh, I don't know. It's hard. I have, I would have a different answer probably on every, on a, on, on every different day you ask me, but. (laughs) No problem. It sounds like Los Angeles is growing on you. But yeah. you'll always have a place in your heart. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a city girl. I always 
you know, I like a city. <laughs> Another character I found interesting, who is more uh, not as important uh, in the novel, but uh, very colorful character, is Maud, the therapist. Oh um, yes, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about this character? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny because I have Flora. You know, I have Flora in New York City, and um, she's feeling herself in a bit of a crisis and um and I just thought well what would a New Yorker do well a New Yorker would um probably find their their old therapist or <laughs> I just I just pictured Maude I just pictured her on the Upper West Side um where so many of the therapists live in practice uh and I just pictured Maude I knew I knew I knew who Maude was. Um, she wasn't modeled on a specific person, but she is a type. She is a, a type of character who lives in New York. And I had a lot of fun writing her. And uh, there was more Maude in the book. And we all sort of agreed that she didn't quite deserve that many pages. So <laughs> she has a number of pages she has, but um, that was a lot of, that was a lot of fun for me. I've lived, I've, you know, lived in apartment buildings with Maude. I've lived on the block with Maude. I know Maude and, uh, and I, and I love writing about New Yorkers. So. I thought she was an amusing character. Someone yeah. uh, that probably most of us have met in some form or yes. other. <laughs> yes. Yes. How important was it to you that, um, at the heart of the story, I would say, is family, love, betrayal. But how important was it um, that there are so many actors uh, as characters in the novel? Well, that was, um, you know, that was a very deliberate choice because when you write a novel, you are going to live in that world by yourself for a very long time. And... And so uh, I want it to be a world that I'm really interested in. And I love theater. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I have so many friends who are actors and I admire what they do a lot. And so, you know, part of it is just when you're building out the world of the novel, um, I try and think to myself, well, where do you want to spend the next couple of years? And, and it was with those people. Uh, because I knew that I had a lot to discover there and, and also maybe kind of a lot to figure out about how that works. And, and it has a lot in common with writing. You know, I'm about to, I'm almost done promoting good company and I'm about, and then some, at some point in the coming weeks or months, I will have to sit down and start again from the beginning. So it's it's um it's it's slightly different but it has things in common with my life and so i i felt both comfortable and curious in that space so not to put you on the spot but would you like to share with us um uh, the idea for your next novel if you have one formulated um yeah i don't I'm I'm gonna say no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I I I do have an idea, but I haven't thought it through nearly enough to feel like I can be articulate about it yet. No problem. That's fair enough. 
for the prospective writers are listening in today um, who know very well the sort of almost uh, Cinderella story that surrounds uh, the success of The Nest, what advice do you have to them? Uh, for them, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, what happened to me is very unusual. So I, I guess the first thing I would say is um, you can't think about writing and publishing are two completely different things. The only thing you should focus on is writing your book. If you're thinking about what's going to happen when it comes out and who might review it or who might like it or how many people might buy it or how much money you might get, you are you are um, almost certainly sabotaging the important work, which is the writing. All you can care about is making the book as good as it, as good as you can possibly make it and and feeling great about it yourself. Because even with a successful book, like mine have been, some people like it, some people really don't like it and they're happy to let you know. And so you just have to be very, um, you have to feel like, I feel like I have to feel like that's the book I wanted to write. I did, I put everything into it I could. I'm proud of it. Now it's going to go out in the world and find its way. And, and that stuff is really out of my hands. Um, especially now when you can't even go on book tours. So um, just to be aware that writing and publishing are, you shouldn't mix the two. You shouldn't mix them up in your head. Uh, just focus on the writing. Very solid advice. Uh, we did hear from our last uh, author interview was with Marissa Stapley. And mm -hmm. she told us that she had wanted her latest book, Lucky, um, to be a television show or a film. And she began mm -hmm. by writing it this way and it, it wasn't working at all. So then she just yeah. concentrated yeah. on the story, uh, wrote the book, and now it is looking like it could be transformed into right. a television right. series. But yeah. when she approached it as this is how I'm going to pitch it, it was not working. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a losing game, right? Because it's a completely, they're two completely different things. Um, you know, a book, a book has to be a book. A book is read and... And because I have a little experience of this, when it gets transformed into a different medium, it has to become something else. So, yeah, if you're really if you're dying to write a television show, write a television show. <laughs> writing a writing a book first to get to the television show or movie is a really long way around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, uh, Cynthia, for sharing your time with us today. I am going to invite audience members now. Uh, if they have any questions for you to please uh, put them into the Q&A or the chat and then I will read them out. Okay, great. Um, in the meantime, I will ask you about uh, your husband and him, the fact that he <laughs> writes for television. Right. Um, has that helped you uh, in your writing specifically? <laughs> um, you know, he writes for a very specific, he has always worked in late night television, which is its own very specific world. And 
he could help me with stuff like, um, you know, if I'd say, what, what would the studio look like, you know, for this scene? Like he helped me with some of the Margot television. If she came on the lot, where would the makeup people be? Where would the hair people be? Uh, where would her trailer be? You know, thing, things like that. And of course I've been on lots with him and, but, but as you know, the, the, um, the theater stuff, not really. He could help me with technical stuff. He's a, he's a good reader. Right? He always has great suggestions. And and he would find a little uh, terminology maybe that I didn't have exactly right. Or he would have a more specific word for it. So, yeah, he was super helpful in that way. But um, his his world is a very specific world. So now that you're in New York, uh, are you going to attempt to see any Broadway shows or any? There aren't right any. Now? Okay, no. I'm sorry, I wasn't <laughs> no. certain. Yeah, I. I um, think that's the plan for the summer, but maybe uh, September. Months. September. They're going to start up in September. Um, or Broadway theaters are going to be allowed to reopen in September. It'll probably be the, toward the end of the year before the shows will really, you know, get up and running, but I will be here as soon as they are. Yes. So. How would you say the pandemic has impacted uh, your writing? You talked a little bit about the fact that the tours are different. Um, we're right. uh, with you now virtually, and I'm sure you've done right. a lot of these kinds of events, yeah. but how has it affected your writing uh, itself in any way? The fact that we're living. No, I mean, you know, I joke with all my friends, writers were made for the pandemic. Like all you, all you know, all you do is get up and um, work in your pajamas if you want. So uh, by yourself in an office. So it's um, from that, from, you know, from that regard, it was, I mean, I don't want to say it was great. It was awful. It was tragic and terrible. But in terms of my daily habits, they didn't change at all. Um, and I was finishing Good Company as we first went into lockdown in March, last March. So in a in a strange way, I well, I was grateful that I had the book to finish yeah. um, and, you know, really worked on it, you know, probably through uh, the end of the summer. And so it was it was great for me to have that if I'd been caught sort of between books, I, I think that would have been hard. Um, because I don't, I don't ramp up that quickly. I, I need, I need to sort of dip in a little bit. And, uh, I, I, I think it would have, I think that would have been hard. I, I was in a fortunate time in the process of good company, uh, to have that happen in terms of, you know, the publishing part of the book that that's been hard because I love meeting readers and I love going to bookstores and, you know, that just hasn't been able to happen. So Good Company is the name of the book and it's also the name of the theater company in the book and it's a beautiful mm -hmm. cover. Uh, congratulations mm -hmm. uh, on the book. Cynthia, I'm not seeing, sometimes we have a shyer audience. Yeah, no, that's fine. I understand. Yeah. Uh, but it's been delightful uh, catching up with you, speaking to yeah. you. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, I love libraries. So I'm always, I always say yes 
to, <laughs> to, to that crowd. Um, libraries have been so supportive and great. And um, so I'm really grateful to you for inviting me. Thank you so much, Cynthia. And we'll all be staying tuned uh, to find out what's next. Okay, great. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.